Hey guys, welcome back to the Move, Eat and Randomize podcast show where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition and bringing more energy into your day. In today's episode, we catch back up with Darren, we had him in episode one and today we just basically go on a bit of a riff and a bit of a tangent with what we talk about, what we're doing for fitness at the moment, what we're doing for nutrition and things like that. So it's a really interesting conversation, we talk about books we're reading, recent studies and stuff like that. So Jump in, have a listen, and as always, if you like it, please share it around to your friends. All right, guys, I'm here with Darren again. Darren was with us in episode one where he talked about how he transitioned in his um, work capacity to go from a trainer to working at a prison, and heaps of people got lots of stuff out of that episode, and now we're back today. We're pretty much just going to go off the cuff today and just talk about what we're doing for our own training and what we're both sort of studying at the moment. So Darren, say good day to everybody again. Uh, hey everybody. It's, it's good to be back. Um, you know, I hope everybody's well and um, feeling good. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So Darren, you, we were just talking about before we recorded about you're actually at the moment looking at and studying or researching metabolism, health issues and body tap and how it can all sort of link up do you want to start talking a bit about that first yeah there's, I, there's a guy um on uh i've discovered through facebook uh, his name is matt stone um he's got a, a website called 180 degree health and he's he's um kind of like a health researcher he took it upon himself to do a lot of research on health and fitness and a big part of his stuff has been on uh the metabolism and he um a lot of his research and study has sort of pointed towards, you know, if you've got a faulty metabolism, if your body temperature is down, you know, your digestion's off, you know, a whole host of things that, you know, if you can sort of help your metabolism to function better, then, you know, it can assist with some of those issues that you may be having with your health. Now, we're not talking about like, we're not promoting miracle cures or anything here, but um, you know, there's a, lo- a lot of, you know, sort of underlying health issues come back to, you know, if you've dieted in the past, if you're still dieting now, then, and, and how the body adapts to that sort of stuff. So it was, it's really interesting. But I, I would uh, recommend everybody if they um, – probably, Chris, you can put in the notes or something. If yeah. people search up Matt Stone, 180-degree health – He's, he's got books on Amazon as well. Yeah, I'm, uh, just, I'm pretty sure I've got one. I'm just having a look in my Amazon or Kindle app now. Um, Eat for Heat. Yeah, I've, I've started reading that one again. But one of his better books, um, probably the, the best book that he's written is called Diet Recovery 2. Yes, yeah, so I've got that there too. I actually read Eat for Heat but didn't read the second one. I've got it like yeah, everything else with Kindle when you just yeah. – get books like it's going out of fashion <laughs> you just don't do anything with them but his his stuff's really good like he he um i don't know if you've ever heard of ray pete he was a bloke who was really big on bone broth and a lot of this um stuff that's become popular now this guy sort of popularized years ago you know and you know eating organ meats and um all this sort of stuff to, to get all your nutrients and stuff from that it was a little bit um, probably left the field with some of the stuff with focusing on, you know, uh, sugar and uh, all this sort of stuff. But um, he sort of transitioned on from that. And it, it really, it's it's good to read because he's, he's 
he's very reasonable as well. He's, he's dead against all these extreme diets and, you know, the, the impact that it has on your body and especially your metabolism, because, you know, as, as you know, and probably a lot of the people that are listening that, you know, our bodies are very sensitive to changes in what we eat, how much we eat, when we eat, um, maybe not so much when we eat, but, you know, um, when we start changing the environment and, you know, the composition of our food, the way that our body uh, adapts to that. So it's been really interesting reading how you can um, manipulate those sort of things just with the composition of your food. So, you know, he went from being one of these sort of very strict, you know, eat clean, everything has to be unprocessed and, um, and, you know, as healthy as as can be to being a little bit more relaxed on that sort of stuff and seeing the the, the benefit that um, it had for his body going from being very cold all the time, having cold hands and feet all the time to, you know, getting his body temperature up. And a big thing that he focuses on, especially in the diet recovery is taking your body temperature regularly. So first thing of the morning, even before you get out of bed, um, I think in the middle of middle of the day and after you've eaten a meal, so that you get a bit of a, a spread of where you, your body temperature is at. And it's quite interesting to see, especially after eating, how your metabolism spikes as well, because you've got all this food that you're digesting and all this cellular activity that is heightened and the amount of extra heat that your body gives off doing that. So it's, that's, it's only something that I've recently started. Um, but have, you been, it's, have you been doing the body temp thing? Yeah, yeah. So I just, like, and not even a, I've just got a cheap, you know, four dollar um thermometer that i bought from um the chemist yeah and just sticking that under under your arm um at various points throughout the day and just getting a bit of an idea of um how your body temperature fluctuates and then you can you can sort of look at it and 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 have a look at what you've been eating as well so you know that our bodies um, function on fat. They function. It functions on carbohydrate. You know, it functions on protein. And you know, a lot of these diets, which focus on demonising one or more of the the macronutrients, you find that um, that if you diet for a long time, that you're as well as your you know your metabolism adapting, your body temperature adapts as well. Because especially when you you start to limit your calorie intake very heavily what you find is that the that the body's one of the body's adaptations so that is it draws a lot more blood to the middle part of your body to keep that part because that's where all the central organs are to keep that part warm and you find that your extremities start to cool down and that you might be experiencing you know even with socks and shoes on that your your uh, feet may be cold and sometimes we just put that down to bad circulation but um when you actually do a little bit of investigation yourself, sometimes it's, it's not actually that. It can be the way that you're, you're eating and also the composition of your food as well. So that's been a really interesting little experiment that I've been um, doing and seeing what I eat and how it, it influences my body temperature. Have you noticed anything so far, like anything that's jumped out at you? Uh, if, if you have a meal that's, that's got um, especially saturated fat and some sugar in it, that you're, 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 I've found that my body temperature will increase just because of, you know, I'm supplying the, the cells in my body with those, the, with the, the two core ingredients they really like to, to use to, to function and that's fat and carbohydrate. 
So yeah. <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> yep. Yeah, ice, ice creams. In, in his diet recovery book, it's quite interesting that, you know, he warns you at the start when you read the book that, you know, some of this is going to go very contrary to what a lot of the so-called gurus will tell you to do when you're dieting. But he stresses in the book that, you know, this is about people who have dieted for a long time and their metabolisms are basically in the toilet. You know, they bottomed out uh, through a lot of hard dieting through years and probably exercise thrown into that as one. They've just worn everything out a bit and the body's yeah, just yeah. doing whatever it can to survive. And yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. And, you know, it's, it's some of the things that he recommends for people to have for breakfast, he was talking about things like hot dogs and <laughs> stuff just to try and stimulate some metabolic activity. And this is a, this is not like a long-term sort of recommendation. This is about elevating your metabolism and getting it back up to a point where it's functioning better and your body temperatures um, increasing because the, <clears throat> a lot of the things that he talks about, things like constipation, um, you know, um, you know, high triglyceride levels in your blood, all these sort of things that are, that, um, can be markers of sort of less than fantastic health, uh, uh, can be directly linked back to the functioning of your metabolism. So, and the, the other thing that he also hones in on is their obsession with drinking that, um, you know, we carry around, these large containers of water and we're just drinking it all the time because we've been told that we need to be constantly hydrated. And the one thing that water does, we know that it's one of its effects is a cooling effect. So, um, you know, through his research that he's found, if you're um, going to the toilet more than, you know, his, his recommendations based on the research he's done is probably once every four hours. Yep. And that it should almost be, not a bright yellow color, but that, that sort of pale yellow, it should be even a little bit brighter than that. That obviously if, as long as it's not like, um, you know, like super orange or heading towards a Coke type color, then you've got some, some issues going on with some serious dehydration. But, you know, um, he he's what he's uh, suggesting is that we don't need to drink anywhere near as much as we do. We're actually overhydrating and cooling the body down in the process as well, which when the body cools down, the metabolism slows down as well. So, um, and, you know, basically your metabolism is just cellular activity, right? You know, all the cells in your body, when that, that's what they're doing. They're providing that, that, that output, you know, they, they, they use energy. They use those calories that you, you take in. So, you know, it's not just a, a calorie burning activity with their metabolism. It's, it's a much greater um, process than that. And it's quite interesting to read and, and how, you know, it, it is directly impacted on by what we do, what we eat, um, what we donate. And, you know, so it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's something that, um, you know, not everybody's going to be as interested in it as, as I am, but um, I think it's it's something that you, you can have in, a, in a, an impact on without having to go down, you know, a medication route or something like just by, you know, having a look at what, what you're eating. And, um, and he doesn't focus too much on, you know, how much of it you're eating and, and that sort of stuff. But, you know, eating reasonably, reasonably well. He's not saying that this is just a free-for-all and you can eat whatever you want because, you know, you want to stimulate your metabolism. But, you know, it, you, as we talk about, you, you know, you do have room in your diet for those uh, foods that you love to eat. Yeah. You don't have to remove them completely. And they do have a, a you know, 
as well as a psychological effect making you feel good, they do have a metabolic effect as well. So, Yeah, it's kind of like, um, like flexible dieting and stuff where yep. you go diet for, especially the latest one was like diet for two weeks, have a break for two weeks, diet for two weeks, have a break for two weeks. Or even like um, carb backloading and carb night from Kiefer. When he's actually he's got a new one due out this year as well, and he's the thing is like push all the junky stuff to dinner, and eat really well during the day. Probably starting from midday, eat really well, and then if you want some junky, push it to dinner, and work it into your plan. Like that eighty twenty ninety ten rule, you don't have to be a hundred percent on nearly anything, and it's really hard to be a hundred percent on anything anyway. But I I always think as well as I was thinking about it last night. It's like as soon as you ban, you want to binge. Like yeah, because that's um, all you think about. That's all you think about. Like, and um, as soon as somebody tells you you can't eat something, like I saw something this morning from a nutritionist talking about people, um, you know, having their their coaches or their their diet gurus tell them they can't eat peas because you know because of, for whatever you know harebrained reason that they don't they can't eat peas and it's like. I mean, as soon as as, yeah, as soon as it, any kind of uh, restriction comes in, then you're starting to to go down a path that is, is a very deep hole. That you know, the further you go down, that the, the harder it's going to be to pull yourself out of it. So, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of see with this body temp thing. What's the range he looks for, and what what are you? Where are you falling at roughly at the moment? So. He's from, um, so first thing of the morning, uh, because you've been fasting basically overnight, your body temperature is going to be fairly low. Yep. So, um, and his recommendation for taking your body temp first thing of the morning is you haven't moved. So you haven't created any extra heat by moving, moving around with your, your muscle action and stuff. So I've found mine's been around 36.6 to 36.7 or 8 on average. Um, anything below that, if you, if it's down below that, getting towards 35, you know, or in the low 36s. I mean, this is on a over a, a length of time. Like, yeah, we're not like saying that you know the first time that it happens and you're like, oh god, you know, my metabolism stuff. This is like an average. Yeah, so, seven day rolling average. Yeah. So I found in in the um, mornings, it's you know he's he's sort of recommending between sort of 36.6 to around sort of 37 is what he's found with the studies he's done he's done with people himself as well as what he's he's read on metabolism what i'm finding is that consistently it's it's around that that sort of um mid 36s to heading towards the high 36s yeah cool and what are you bouncing up to after you have a meal roughly uh i think the highest i've been up to is 37.2 so far and that was after a, a meal with a fair chunk of meat in it so um and we know with the thermic effect of food you know you know things like you know fairly dense uh foods like steak and that sort of stuff you know it 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 requires a lot of energy for your body to to digest those and obviously that's you know puts out a bit more heat so yeah i found that it's it it, with a, a very meat heavy meal that it's it's been higher I'm sure we all experience the meat sweats. Like, if you have one of those <laughs> yeah. meals where you, you know, it's like you've been to a buffet or something, or you've been out somewhere where it's just like nonstop, nonstop meat of some sort. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get those meat sweats. It's like, well, there's a there's a great example there of your metabolism, like just being really fired up 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. People go out and like, okay, I'm going to just eat all this meat now to see if this is true. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so what, what do you... What do you want to get out of doing these tests in the end? What are you looking for? Uh, I think, it, like, like I said, it's just seeing what I do and what I eat and the composition of my food, how it, it's, um, how it affects my body, like how I can, you know, uh, manipulate things in a way and just see how my body responds to it so that I can make more informed choices on what um, foods have um, and, and what effects they have on on my body? Because you know we're all as much as our digestive processes are similar, we're all different. Which is why oh, did I just cut out a bit then? No, no, no you're all good. Um, which is why I think um, you know we, we'll all have an individual approach to our eating. You know, there's there's foundations of of stuff, but you know, like you were saying with the flexible dieting and stuff that there needs to be an element of flexibility in there because, you know, we can't all be prescribed the keto diet or, or, um, you know, whatever other, um, kind of diet you may feel is, is going to work for you or it's work for a friend. So, you know, you want to try it out by all means, try it out. But, um, it's, I, I think for me, it's just more, you know, finding foods that, that, have an impact, a positive impact for me. Yep. And, yeah. yeah. You know, and also see how that, that affects me, you know, sleep wise, uh, um, also my energy levels and the way that I'm training as well. Just, uh, you know, I, I think it's just exploration and, you know, I guess just trying things out, <laughs> always be willing to try things rather than being stuck in one uh, mode of thinking or, or method. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's like I've been reading about the, like how cycling your food with the seasons as well and how people get stuck in this one way of eating all year round when naturally what we used to do was always cycle with dense foods at certain times of the year and less dense foods at other times of the year because our digestion was better. And then if you do that again, you get yourself, it's like a circadian rhythm for your food, which is kind of interesting to read about. Oh. Yeah, I'll start recording now. So, right. sorry guys, we just we we had tech issues. So Darren was talking about what he wanted to get out of it, and he got into like how he wants to see how food is affecting his sleep, his energy levels, and his training, and basically getting a base template and then customizing it to suit him personally. If you want to pick up where that left off, does yeah, because I think um, you know the, the the flexibility to be able to work to do what's best for you. Like I think while, you know, diets give you a framework and, you know, eating plans and all that sort of stuff, like it's not always going to be suitable for you. So I think, you know, as we mentioned last time, we talked about being a diet agnostic where, you know, you're not tied to any one method or ideology. You're, you're open to, to anything. So, um, yeah, I think for me, that's just, you know, trying stuff out. Like, you know, I used to say that uh, you know you have to you have to eat cereal for breakfast, or you know, um, it's it's just more like a, a a trial sort of thing, and you know, and getting that direct feedback with the temperature as well is just one part of the puzzle. I guess it's similar to that. I guess that stuff that you use that heart rate variability. Like, yeah, 
Yeah, you know, exactly. That's, that's another tool that you can use to to give you feedback um, on, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Is your sleep restful enough? Um, because if your sleep's not restful enough, then as well as your heart rate variability, you, you're going to get a, a corresponding effect on your metabolism as yeah, well. Because exactly. if you're in it, you're in a, a stress state because you're not sleeping enough for whatever reason it is. I mean, some of those reasons will be within your control, and some of them obviously will be outside of your control. So, um, knowing what's inside your control, I guess, is 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 something that you can, you know measures to try and um sort out i guess but um yeah it's just uh again just more investigation and just you know keeps it interesting i think rather than just training and eating and you know just groundhog day sort of stuff yeah it's kind of like because we're in the rabbit hole too we enjoy testing stuff out because we can take what we're learning and use it on other people and see if it works and build the toolbox and it's kind of I was talking to my guys in the coaching group and we were talking about like that closed mindset, open mindset thing. Yeah. Being able to have that open mindset and also being able to have two ideas that both work and are totally different in your head and being okay that they both work and not saying, no, don't care about that one. Don't care if it works. This is the only way to do it. Like sort of being open-minded to the fact that maybe this way can work and maybe this way is better. It doesn't really matter that they both can work in the long run and there's different ways of doing things. And like we always try and experiment on ourselves to see if there's a better way of doing things, if there's an easier way of doing things for people who aren't into it as much as we are and just keep tweaking things as we go. That open mindset, I reckon, is key to trying to make change long-term. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we, we'll unconsciously have a bias towards certain things and you know sometimes those biases those um i don't know what the plural is biases um <laughs> yeah. is, um biases you know, is, is, is. <laughs> you know they may be influencing the way that you're you're approaching stuff as well so you know trying to be as like you said as open-minded as possible and and knowing that you know that there are you know thousands of different ways to to approach stuff and you know sometimes it may take a while to find out what's what's going to work best for you but also you know being able to assemble a toolbox like you said that taking piece bits and pieces from here and, and there and creating something that is suitable to you and works for you and one thing that I've always uh, sort of stressed is regardless of what I what I talk about that that that's not an endorsement from me to say to you, um, this is the only way to do it. This is what's worked for me and what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, feel, feel free to try it and see what you, feedback you get. But this, this is no way, you know, me saying that, you know, this is going to work for you, but you, know, it, it, you may try it and, and, you know, there may be elements of it that you do like, but there may be other parts of it that you don't. So, you know, I think we're, we, we still don't understand um, the way everything works. And that was the interesting thing about reading um, Matt Stone's books is he, he said the more that he read, the more he did, he found out that he didn't understand, you know, the more oh, education yeah. that he got, the more confused he got because, you know, you, you, you get more and more information and you get conflicting uh, research results. You get um, people who are experts in, 
you know, in these fields, maybe saying completely different things or that, you know, their interpretation of a research results or a study may be slightly different to somebody else's. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, that's why he, he's trying to go back to basics and see what the common thread was with a lot of the stuff that he was reading and, and the common thread that he came across with a lot of the, um, you know, health issues that people were having was that their metabolisms were, were not functioning as well as they could. Now we're not, I'm not talking here about optimal. Like I try not to use that word too much because you know, what's optimal for me is not optimal for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, and, and it's nothing's a, ever going to be optimal because nah. that would mean that it's running at, you know, almost a hundred percent. And that's never going to be the, that's never going to be the case because we're so complicated. Like we can't have a, a mono approach and say, Oh, this is, this is the only reason why. Like I had a bloke asking me the other day about why he was waking up in the middle of the night with cramps in his calf. And I'm like, it could be, it could be a multitude of, yeah. of reasons. You know, a lot of people would say, Oh, just have more salt or drink more water. It's like, you know, without, you know, being a doctor or being able to analyze, you know, blood results or, you know, being able to do a complete, you know, diagnosis of, of his, his, the, the, what he's eating, you know, his current health and all that sort of stuff. It's very difficult to pin it down to one thing. Yeah. And it's kind of like in those scenarios, when we go back to the principles, well, yep. the principles, have you got these principles in place? And then if they're all in place, you can go say, if you had to go to a doctor, you can say, this is what I've been doing and I've still got this issue. Maybe what do we go from here instead of going with no principles in place or you have no idea what you got in place and you're like, I got this issue. And then the doctor's like, well, are you eating this way? Are you doing this amount of movement? Are you doing blah, blah? Are you doing blah, blah? And then you got to go back and do it all anyway, which is sort of way, like way we kind of talk about stuff is like, these are the principles and then you can tweak from there to figure out what you need or what gaps you've got to fill or things like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, that allows for flexibility within that as well, rather than, you know, just sticking hard and fast to, to one thing, as we know, with a lot of, especially, you know, diet culture is that whenever anybody asks a question about why it's not working, most of the responses in these diet culture cultures is, Oh, you're not doing it hard enough. or you're not doing it properly. You need to start doing, you know, doing it better or something, which, which is code for, you need to restrict more. You know, you're not. Yeah. So, you know, when it's not working rather than accepting the fact that it's not working there because of their vested interest in keeping you as a customer or, or keep buying their stuff, they, they've got to come up with some reason as to why you've failed and that you need to uh, change, not that the diet needs to change or that the approach needs to change. Yeah. That, that, that's a common thread that you'll see with a lot of these um, diet groups is that, you know, and why a lot of people, you know, liken them to cults because, you know, the cults want to keep you in there and they want to keep you a member so that, you know, you keep participating and, and, and a diet, diet's no, no different. So, um, yeah, that's why I think, you know, if you can work on your own feedback and, and that sort of stuff, then, you know, that's going to give you a, 
uh, some sort of approach that you, has more chance of being sustainable and you sticking with than just feeling like you're a failure all the time that you've got to, um, you know, keep going back to your guru all the time to find out, you know, why it's not working and, you know, why, why I'm failing, you know, why I'm putting on weight or my weight loss has stopped or, you know, um, you know, whatever, whatever the, um, you know, the question is. So, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I'm not trying to find the secret to, um, you know, it's not the fountain of youth kind of stuff, but, you know, I think however long you live for, you you want it to be the highest quality that you can possibly, you know, that's within your reach. Yeah. And things like sleep and, you know, uh, those things that you, you can impact yourself are things that you can take some responsibility and accountability for. Then, you know, we, we all know that, you know, the more sleep that we get or the more quality sleep that we get, the better we feel. So speaking on the sleep thing, it's like I was just listening to the audio book from what's his name? Well, the guy who owns Honor Academy and he brought out that own your day, own your life thing. So there's a part in it about sleep and he referenced um, Nick Littlehouse. Yeah, I don't, don't know him. It's super cool. So he's been the sleep coach to Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United. Um, a few other like sports people and really high up corporate people. And what he's done is changed the, instead of thinking about thinking about eight hours sleep a night going by cycles when we know like the hour and a half is our cycle roughly. Instead you got say like 35 cycles in the week. You try and get the 35 cycles in the week wherever way you get it. Instead of trying to get the eight hours every night, you might have, four cycles one night, three cycles the other night, five cycles the next night, and you balance it out over the week. All right. And the, doing it with the athletes is what the, the de-stressing them from having to think about getting eight hours a night when they like maybe away in a hotel room or things like that where they everything's out of their control and they're stressing about it. So it's just going by cycles. And then the other way he did it was with um, high-flying corporate or people who work with people around the world. They do like two cycles at night and then they get power naps at certain times through the day to act as another cycle. So you're just collecting the points for the week. Oh, so it's a cumulative effect rather yeah. than trying to chunk everything in, into um, you know, that eight hours. You, you, you're achieving a certain level, like you said, with that cycle number by the end of the week. Yeah, and like what I found for me, with just even reading the book, is like when I get, say, that six hours, which is four cycles... I feel pretty good and I'll have a nap during the day and I can function for a long time. If I get a little bit less than that, say like five hours and then have a nap, I, st- I don't feel as good. And if I get more than that, so if I get seven hours sleep, I wake up through a cycle or whatever. And then if I don't get a nap during the day, I feel horrendous after a couple of days. So just sort of just reading it and sort of looking at what I was doing. And now I'm just, instead of focusing on time, because with Theo, it's hard to get the right amount of time anyway, because he still wakes up all night. Just going to, play around with it with the program I'm doing now for the next two weeks is just focusing on cycles, hitting those cycles each week, whether it's through power naps or through the sleep at night, just looking at what's in my control and going for that. And it's kind of cool. And he also talks about like you got the one hour and a half cycles at night and you, once you wake up, you put yourself an hour and a half cycles through the day and then you plan your day around the hour and a half cycles which I thought was also a really cool idea to sort of break down your day. And if you want to have a, 
uh, a nap. You sort of do a little bit of work, a little bit of downtime and have your nap in the last 30 minutes of that hour and a half cycle. How does that, how does that work with people who have a fixed schedule? Like, like napping wise, like if you're, um, you know, you've got a, a regular job, full-time job, then obviously, you know, napping may not be a, uh, uh, something that you can do throughout the day just because of your um, job commitments and things like that. So he, in his, um, in an interview he did with Mike Robinson, I did listen to the podcast before I got the book, he was talking about how when he was working as a salesperson for beds, his days were full and he couldn't get naps during the day. But as salespeople do, they tend to go party a bit at night. Right. So he was having a nap at five o'clock after the day finished and at seven o'clock and then would stay up until midnight and get one or two or two to three cycles before he'd wake up the next morning. And uh-huh. he was able to function way better doing that than trying to get a big block of time at night. So I can't remember the times he put up, but there's definitely, like you said, ones at around one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock and seven o'clock. Cause around those times, if you get the power nap in, then it acts as you getting a complete cycle. And it kind well, of I mean, goes, you think about it from, you know, some European cultures with their afternoon siesta, like in Spain, yeah places like that which is just part of their culture that you know there's this downtime in the afternoon which you know from what you're saying is not a it's not a coincidence yeah you know this would obviously be something that that has come about through you know thousands of years of of, you know their culture um coming in whereas you know obviously um you know somewhere like australia like you know, for most people napping means falling asleep in front of the TV. Like it's not a. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of exactly right, and it's like he's saying, like we all, most cultures had some kind of like natural cycle to the way they slept, and they had um, nap times and stuff. And even in the Own Your Day book, they he referenced that Indian cultures used to go to bed when the sun set at whatever time it was, six, seven, whatever it is, and then have two cycles and then uh, wake up and smoke a pipe, have a few drinks and stuff like that. And then go back to bed again yeah. for the next bit. So yeah, it's kind of, it's super interesting just reading it and seeing how the way we just cycle, but now we've got all these blue lights and things that keep us awake. We like, as everyone knows, we're sort of putting our psychiatry rhythms out of balance. So it's hard to figure out our cycles and when we should sleep, but putting in like a simple term, like he has, like you got an hour and a half, you got to hit this many cycles a week, which for some is 35, some is 28 or whatever it ends up being. I think it was like Roger Federer or something like 40 some sleep cycles a week. And you just got to, whatever way you can get them, you get them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, again, it's just, it's another approach. Yeah. You know, something that you can, you can try out. Like, um, I, I can't imagine at five o'clock in the afternoon, I'd have much chance of getting a nap. Around, around here, yeah. like no, uh, I'm the same. Like even thinking about with Theo, I'll get one in the middle of the day, and maybe one at three if I wanted the next one. But I pretty much one nap. But the idea of like whatever happens at night happens at night. He wakes up, he comes in our bed. Whatever we end up doing, it's fine. Like not getting stressed about because I'm not getting that blah amount of sleep. Just yeah. going for cycles and seeing what amount of cycles works for me in a week, and I can sort of base it off that and then change it as I go, which kind of was like, that's cool. Cause that's in my control. I feel like I can sort of focus on that a bit better. And that's the thing too, is like, 
Um, I think um, we, we we can all get a bit stressed too with trying to, um, you know, like we were saying about experimenting with different things. It's like I'm trying to experiment with one thing at a time. Yeah. So my my training's pretty much locked in, as I mentioned last time, three days a week. Um, I I recently just bought a new book. I don't know if you've heard, there's an Australian guy named Ian King. He wrote a book called The Book of Muscle or something. It's a men's health book with Lou Shul and the guy that wrote um, The New Rules of Lifting. I do know Ian King, but I didn't know he wrote the book. Yeah, he was one of the co-authors, but um, he recently had a um, an induction program for his coaching called King Sport International. And what I didn't realise with Ian King is, is he, he's like he was one of the first guys that ever created certifications for Pete personal training in Australia, like his, his history within the health and fitness industry in Australia goes back to the mid 1980s. Like, and he's quite a, um, he's a fairly outspoken figure in, um, in the health and fitness game. He's, he just thinks that, you know, he's all the gurus and everything like this sort of stuff are just basically rehashing stuff. That's, that that's been around for a long time and they've just repackaged it and almost, said that this is their own, that they've come up with this, this new way of training and this secret that they found that nobody, nobody else knew about when it's always been there, but nobody's you know, known about it because it's, it, it's not widespread. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, it's interesting listening. Um, I, I've only just started the course, but um, a lot of the stuff he talks about is I've read in other books, but the books were written a lot longer after he is kind of one of the, uh, the, the first guys to actually put it down on paper and all that sort of stuff. So that's been interesting in there's another experiment for me, just another different approach to training. But at the moment I'm just sticking with what I'm, what I'm doing, focusing on the, the metabolism and the, and the temperature stuff at the moment. Um, I, you know, that, th that stuff you're talking about, the sleep cycles, maybe something that I look at down the track at the moment, like my sleep's pretty solid at about seven hours a night. Um, yeah. And I'm finding that the consistency with my body temperature is there. So, you know, I, I must be, I, I think I'm mitigating enough of the stress with training work and all the other things at the moment where I'm, I'm staying fairly consistent uh, with that. So, you know, that's, uh, it, it's all, you know, life's pretty much a feedback loop, really, you know, trying to find what's, what's impacting, but then trying not to do too much so that you're actually creating stress, trying to find those things that are creating stress. If you, yeah. Yeah. Like if you, like, like you were saying, like when your sleep's rocking at the moment, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. Keep doing stuff. Unless you feel like everything's really good and everything's cruising and you're getting good results. And you're like, huh, I'm on experiment and try something different and see what happens. That's, cool you still only change one thing and then you got your default that you can work back towards yeah and I, I think that's where i guess you know like you were saying we're you know we're so deeply invested in this world that you know um that we have the motivation to do it yes yeah. for a lot of other people it's like cross that's I'd, I'd rather watch paint dry like, yeah exactly taking my, taking my body temperature every day or you know um recording the number of sleep cycles I've had or anything just, you know, um, would bore me to bloody tears. And it's yeah. like sometimes if I talk about this stuff to my wife and her eyes start to glaze over, it's like, you know, while I may be passionate about these other people like Christ, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in when the next episode of 
New York Housewives is on or, you know, whatever it, whatever it is. So, but, you know, as coaches, I think we've got to, you know, we, we've almost got to be guinea pigs like you were talking about as well. Yeah. You know, it's almost our, our duty to, to go out there and explore and um, pass on our experiences and, and that sort of stuff so that we can, you know, we, we can educate people and, you know, maybe even just change their, their, um, their ideas without, you know, w- without, you know, manipulating people, but just giving them, giving them, you know, something else to think about as well. Yeah. And like you said, with like the guinea pigs things, I think Dan John said it like, don't comment on something that you've never done before. Yeah. So do it, finish it, and then decide if you think it needs to make changes or not. Like, did it work? Did it not? Stuff like that. And that's that's the other thing I think Dan John's mentioned so many times is that people just don't give things enough time. Like, yeah, shiny you know, object this, syndrome. Yeah, this this sleep thing. I mean, I've only it's only I've only been doing it for two weeks now. So, you know, while I've said I've got some consistency there, I'm not saying that I've discovered the, um, you know, the the secret to it all, all yet. I'm in that two weeks. I've got some some data yet, but I mean, it's it, this is. You know, I've still got a lot, a lot longer um, trail to follow before I can, you know, with, with any confidence say yes, this is that this is what's influencing this, or you know, this is going to be beneficial or, or anything like that. So, you know, if you if you start something and only stick with it for two weeks, then you know you're not going to get much feedback. You're probably not going to get any any results from it. And if you couldn't stick to it, then it, there, was, there would have been a reason why as well. Yeah. If you could look back at that and say, well, you know, maybe it was too restrictive or it was too, it was unrealistic that it was never going to fit with my, my current lifestyle or it did, but then something came up, which I wasn't able to, you know, I couldn't roll with the punches. Like the program wasn't flexible enough to roll with whatever happened because, you know, you don't have to be a genius to know that, 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 there's going to be a spanner in the works at some stage. You know, you may see it coming more than likely you won't. And, you know, if you've had to um, quit it for some reason, then, you know, it, it may not have been the, uh, the, the program you're looking for, but that's not to say that it may not down the track when things settle down a bit, that it may be something you, you could go back and, and start again. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like what, uh, Kat and I are experimenting with now for the next 12 weeks where there's this app called um, Eat This Much. Where Have you ever seen that one? No, I did see the, the pictures you put up, um, you know, showing the, the, the food you prepared and how you were, were starting a, a, a new program. And, yeah. you know, I always find that, it, that, that interesting because I think when you have visuals there as well, I think that just um, is quite a powerful thing as well because you know it's it's quite a you know it's it's one you know it's good to say that you're doing something but i think if you know there's some visuals there as well then you know that that can make it a little bit easier for people to try and understand what you're doing as yeah well. and like most people who i tend to coach are all super busy and they struggle with trying to plan out their meals for the week they know the food portions and all that kind of stuff but they find it hard to sort of each meal as it comes up, figure out what food portions they need to have for that meal, even though we generally say eat the same amount for most meals. 
So I wanted to sort of see, okay, is there another way we can do it? Is there something else? And I asked around and everyone was recommending Eat This Much as like a food planning app. And what it, it does do, which is kind of cool, even though it's more suited towards American food than ours, is that you create your week, you put in how many calories you have, which we can talk about the pluses and negatives of that. But you put in how many calories you should have theoretically to lose body fat and press auto-generate based on how many meals you want a day and it'll create a meal plan for you for the week and a grocery shopping list. And then you can sort of tick things to say you've got them in the pantry so it takes us off your shopping list and then it tells you how many portions you need for whatever. So when I first got it, I did that, but it was just so confusing and so much, like there's a lot of variety in the food, which is great, but it means your shopping list is going to be insanely <laughs> Because you're just buying all this stuff to maybe use a pinch of pinch of herbs when you got and you got to buy a full container of it. So I took it all out and decided to do something else. Where it does this other thing where you create a meal for say Monday night, you can ask it to auto populate your lunch for the next day. So when you create the meal, it will tell you how much to cook overall, so you can spread it out for the amount of meals you want to. All right. So we've pretty much got it set up the way we're doing it is off whatever we do for dinner, it goes to the next lunch. Cause for me, I generally eat two meals a day with maybe like a snack in the middle of those two meals for my dinner and cat has a snack at 10, then lunch and then dinner. So we did it based off the dinner goes to the next lunch. And that is what I'm finding really cool. Even though I don't think it's super, it's not really ideal for people to try out if they're starting a diet. Cause it took me a week to figure out how to set it up properly. For based on the calories that it recommended and that, w- that we tested like did calculations and stuff to figure out but basically like if you say cat has one serve at dinner and i have two serves because i'm twice as big it'll, and we say we need leftovers for lunch the next day we'll go okay this is how much you need for 12 servings and it'll auto populate your paint your grocery list so when you go buy it you know you got to buy 1.2 kilos of chicken because you got to spread it out over so many meals which that part of it's really cool which i think would be good for people who are super busy and just want to plan it out but the thing like we know working with pn and stuff like that is like calories are very very much a gray area like how much how accurate they actually can be but also too i think um there was a really good article on um pn this week where the, the question was posed is i'm eating too little but i'm still putting on weight and yeah um what, what's interesting about the way that our bodies work too, depending on the kind of food we is that while the food may be 200 calories, you may not absorb all that 200 calories depending on how processed it is or how unprocessed it is. Cause obviously the more processed the food, the easier it is to absorb a greater percentage of those calories, which is why it's very easy to eat processed food and put on lots of weight because the hard work's pretty much been done for you through the processing. Yeah. Um, so your body is able to absorb more of the calories, whereas the less processed something is, then the harder it is for your body to um, metabolize those calories from that food. So um, hence why when people tend to change to a, a, you know, a diet with less processed foods in it, they tend to lose weight because they just don't absorb as many of the calories. But because of the, 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 content of fiber and things like that and how the satiating the food is that you know 
while you may be absorbing less calories, you, you feel fuller because of the, the, the way the food is, is structured and the way that your body digests it and, you know, that the calorie load that, that you get from it. So that's where, you know, calories can be a little bit confusing as well because, you know, 100 calories of carrots is very different to 100 calories of chips. Yeah, so, exactly. And um, it's kind of... Yeah, like you said, exactly with that. And like with 100, 100 calories of carrots versus the chips, the satiety from both is totally different. So, But but then the other side of the coin is you can't forget about is you eat a, you eat 100, 100 calories worth of chips and your brain's just going, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> like that, that combination of sugar, salt and fat mm. is just, you know, but you know, these, these food companies pay these food scientists a bucket load of money to come up with the, the greatest combination of ingredients to give you the, the, the greatest sense of, um, you know, euphoria yeah. when you, when you eat it. Whereas if I give you a, a plate, yeah, if I give you a plate full of carrots, you look at the carrots and you like, unless you're a rabbit or Bugs Bunny or something, you know, <laughs> or, you know, it's, for, for the first few mouthfuls you may enjoy the carrots but then it starts to become a, a bit of a, a chore yeah so you know it's we, we just don't get the same um like feeling from eating less processed foods that we do with more processed foods so you know th- that's the other reason we you know again swinging back to that flexible dieting or having that flexible approach is that yeah you know, you still need those foods in your diet that make you feel really good and you look forward to eating rather than the foods like you know, your less processed stuff where you may not look forward to it as much, but you know that it's going to provide you with a, with a health benefit. So you, you can kind of um, reconcile yourself with the fact that, you know, um, while you may not love carrots, you know, I mean, you can always put spices or something on them or, or add something to it just to liven it up a little bit. But um, I think to try and get back on track with what you were saying is that I think those tracks, those, those apps like that, that you've got actually make you more aware as well. They actually educate you a little bit more on maybe what is a, a decent serve of food for you. And, and then you can look at it and go, well, how did I feel after eating that? Did, did I, was that enough food for me or was I still feeling a bit, a bit hungry? Um, and that's what, the, that's massive. Like what you just said, then is what cat and I basically doing is like, this is week one. This is what we're doing dinner to lunch the next day for the every day this week. And we're using that heck check that I got from Jay Tedder and his metabolic effect website and his books, basically te- asking yourself and checking in with yourself. What was your hunger, energy and cravings like between meals? Yeah. And then if it's like, if that, like hunger and cravings are like above that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 out of 10 where it's super high or your energy's below five. That's a red light. And you know that that meal was totally out of balance or was lacking in something and what to add. And our rule of thumb that we've got on a little flow chart is what we're doing is we'll start with his meal plan and what it is. And if we're out of heck from that meal to the next one, the first rule of thumb is add more protein and veggies. And then the next step, is if that didn't work, add more fat. If that didn't work, take the fat away, add carbs. And like having a flow and a process to customize from that calorie amount that it gave us. And then we basically check in with our results through the week. If we're averaging 0.5 of a kilo lost a week, then the calorie amount, whatever it is we're eating, however way it's fallen is good. But we've, we've customized it based on how we're feeling between meals because 
even if we're getting the results, but our hunger and energy and cravings are super out of whack. We know, and Kat definitely knows that she's just going to bonk and go for some sugary and sweet. Eventually, it will happen, even if it's after a couple of days. So, but I mean, that's that's a survival mechanism, you know. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's totally it, normal. It's yeah, it's the way your body's supposed to act. I think sometimes too that that what these stupid diets have done to people is that when your body does that, like you, if you have a binge or or you want something like that, it's like you've broken some cardinal rule of the diet by because you're acting like a real human being. Yeah. What these diets are asking you to do is act not like a sensible person anymore. You know, you suddenly become like this pillar of diet virtue and that, you know, you're immune to, to cravings. You're immune to <laughs> yeah. your body saying, I need this because you're starving me of it. This is, this is something that, that, that I want. Whereas, you know, if, if you can recognize that and you can accept that and, you know, then, you know, that, that, that's, that's just going to hold you in so much better stead going forward because your mental state is just, so much better because you know we know that you know if the the food that you're taking in is you know if it's sufficient for what you want then your mental state is going to be so much so much better and you'll probably find that yeah you can still have your 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 sweet stuff but you're not going to be like craving it so badly that you you'll eat so much of it that then you go on that that binge purge cycle yeah is almost inevitable and it's it's kind of like what we're doing is, yeah, that 90% rule. So we're doing like three meals a week where we're going to eat whatever we like anyway with staying within like we have one plate of whatever that we make sure we have something that's off the off plan in brackets. So we don't go like 100% extreme in one direction and have a massive binge later. And what we'll do, what we're planning on doing is when we get to where we want to be and we want to revert back to um, maintenance food, which is, once you get to the result you want, you have to go back to maintenance. You don't keep on your low calorie amount. So going back to maintenance and generally like say if we were 90% whole foods, 10%, whatever we felt like, when we go back to maintenance, we'll probably fall into like an 80-20 or a 70-30 to whatever works for us and keeps our results there but also allows us to sort of be flexible and enjoy what we're doing. Well, um, the other thing that um, Matt Stone talks about in his diet recovery book is that he references um the atkins diet and he yeah. said when the when the atkins diet first came came out when you read the intro or the preface to the book there's actually an excerpt that he's taken out of it reads um the atkins diet said that this is not you you shouldn't be dieting for a long time as as much as as the atkins diet has been criticized for what it what it um was getting people to do um dr atkins was smart enough to know that dieting is not a long-term um, approach. Yeah, that it buggers your thyroid up. That's what he um, was referencing in in this um, in what he was saying was that it, it it's not good for your thyroid. And then if your thyroid's buggered up, your testosterone is not going to be great. You know, there's this flow-on effect. So yeah, you know, you've just like you were saying there, getting back to maintenance is is really really important because. You know, once you start losing weight, then you know your the, your body will uh, it burns less calories. It needs less calories because your body weight's lighter. Like there's all these different things that that start to happen with a lighter body. That um, unfortunately, a lot of diets don't allow for. No, they just put you so low in general that you're just gonna 
there's a massive deficit at first and then it gets smaller, but it tends to be the calorie amount so low and was such a hard journey there. You're still going to be in a calorie deficit if you can stay with the diet, which generally yeah. doesn't happen after the six weeks, 12 weeks or whatever it ends up being. You know, that whole idea of interval, like you were talking about with that interval approach. Yeah. You know, that's going to keep your stress levels down as well because once you're starting to get into a little bit of that stress state is when you take your foot off the gas a bit. You yeah. Know, you're, you're, you're recognizing that, you know, that your body's, you know, it's put up with it for a bit and it's made changes and adaptations, but, you know, it's the law of diminishing returns. You know, those, those results will drop off, like no doubt about it. Like <laughs> you, you can put your bloody house on it that at some stage it, it's going to stop working because the adaptations that your body makes will force it to stop working. There is, it, it, we, our bodies are too, too well adapted and too smart for us to, to, um, to just continually just keep restricting and restricting and restricting. Cause yeah. And that if you keep going too extreme in the one direction, your body will do everything in its power to make you go back the other way as far as possible. So it's got oh, that will. massive buffer zone. And yeah, it's interesting actually. like talking about it with Lyle's new women's health book that he brought out, the women's book. And he's talking about how like with extreme dieting, if you're going on stage, I'm probably going to screw this up a bit, but he talks about how you can only like, there's a certain point where you get down to for women where they, they can't drop any more calories or hormone production will start shutting down. And that's when you start adding in the extra conditioning and cardio training to get that extra calorie burn that they need. And but that's on the like the super extreme end. And even to get on stage, they have to lose like they generally have hormones shut down to get on stage. And then he recommends trying to get back to maintenance calories two weeks afterwards to try and bring them back again as fast as possible. Because the longer you are without those hormones, because your body's so low in calories and it's that energy balance thing that you're just stuffing your system up so much the longer you spend in those super low calorie amounts. And that's like, because most of those diets to get into that point are so low in fat. Yeah. I mean, that's where your hormone, your, your hormone production comes from your fat intake. I mean, that's, that's where, you know, the fat intake in your diet is, is basically that they're the main ingredients for hormone production. So yeah. It makes sense that if you're on a very low calorie, low fat diet, because you've got to achieve a an unnatural level of um, body composition, then you know your cycles gets all screwed up to the point where you probably don't have a cycle, yeah, um, anymore. Um, and you know your body's on a on a knife's edge, like it's just hanging on, like, and you know it's. You see it all the time, like people I've worked with, where it's you know where they're competing, and it's like, God, I'm looking forward to that binge after this, after the competition's over. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, then you've gone from binge um, from per, from like a, a low calorie uh, situation to now being in an absolutely saturated calorie position, which you know is no better for your for your body either. <laughs> like to to go from restricting to then like gorging, like it's a shock that, to the system. Yeah, and you know most, you know the number of eating disorders and and long term health problems that people in weight based sports have, and the number of them that end up once they stop doing those sports that end up overweight 
or with diabetes or, you know, a, a lot of those effects of, you know, um, extreme calorie deprivation. Um, you know, it's, it's a very high percentage, you know, things like jockeys, um, boxers, MMA fighters, people who compete on stage, wrestlers, like any of these people that have to, to make a certain weight class, um, you know, uh, they, they end up with, with, you know, a big percentage of them end up with um, health problems down the track. Yeah, I guess it's like, like I'm going to be talking to um, Doggy next week about this as well, but, but that whole health first performance and health first fitness thing, like it's not exactly the same thing. Yes, some performance and fitness goals will allow you to get healthy and be healthy, but like what we're talking about here, they're, these guys are on the extreme end of performance and fitness where getting to where they need to be and be awesome at is technically not healthy. Nah. And it's kind of like the old shot put analogy. You can be super fit to be a shot putter, but are you healthy? Well, and that's, that's again, to, to go back to uh, what Matt Stone talks about. He says, you know, that as much as some people don't want to hear it, you know, being a little bit chubbier, um, is good for your metabolism. Now, when yeah, I say chubbier, I'm not yeah. I'm not talking about thirty percent body fat, but yeah. you know, um, having a little bit more fat in your diet, and you know, um, and just being healthy, which is that, to be honest, that the majority of the people that that I've coached in the past and people you're coaching at the moment, that's going to be their main focus. Like, yeah, pretty I mean, much everyone. You, you're going to get the odd person that wants to run a marathon, or they might want to do a triathlon, or or something like that. And, you know, but for the most part, people just want to be a bit healthier. They want to be able to play with their kids or, you know, not huff and puff so much when they walk up the stairs and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that more reasonable approach is always going to be more sustainable in the long term. But, you know, obviously people, you know, when you do see those athletes, um, you know, they, they, you know, they're all, they're all ripped and shredded and cut and whatever other words you want to use to describe them. But, you know, that, that's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of hard work. You know, people just look at them and go, oh, they're on, they're on, you know, performance enhancing drugs and blah, blah, blah. Yes, that, that, that some of them may be on PEDs, but PEDs don't, uh, don't make up for, you know, if you don't have the hard work and the commitment. Yeah, the and, work ethic to go along. And the work with ethic, it. then, you know, performance enhancing drugs are only a one or a two percent you know, benefit for you. There's, there's, you know, a big foundation of work that you've got to put in to get to that. So, and, you know, for the, for, for most of us, it's just not realistic to do that. You know, with no. all the commitments that we've got. Yeah. Like when you look at really harping on my man crush again, Dan John and how he looks at goals and it's like, does it spiral out into everything else you do? So if you're picking the goal, we're going to the extremes and trying to, this is for like our general pop people we talk about going to extremes and trying to get on stage. Is that going to spiral out into everything you do and improve your family life, your work life and your health? Or is it literally just for that? Is it for that one goal and it's not going to actually benefit anything else? And for before fair come along, I was used to pick goals based on that one thing. Like it'd help a bit, but like say the, the Spartan training, that I did leading up to Theo being born. Yes, I was doing it to try and get pre-season to dad fit kind of thing. But I knew training for that, I was neglecting a lot of other stuff, knowing that I wouldn't be able to do it as much when Theo come along. And now that Theo's here, 
I haven't been able to put as much training into Spartan and all that kind of stuff because it doesn't spiral out into improving other things. It takes away family time. It takes away the stuff I like to do, which is like through the coaching and things like that. So it doesn't didn't make sense to do it in this time at the moment. It might later when things sort of free up and Theo's older, we have another kid and they're in school, then there's more time in the day to do stuff. But looking at that spiraling effect, whatever goal you're looking for, is it going to make everything else, is it improve everything in your life? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, you know, from my own personal point of view, just I know that by having a little bit of fitness and staying staying strong means that, you know, like just my overall mindset's better. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing my body past what it can, can handle. So I'm getting the benefit from it without having to sacrifice um, other things because, you know, any of those kind of events, whether it's Spartan or getting on stage or, or whatever it is, you know, it, it, there's, there's got to, there's some price has to be paid. Yeah. And are you willing to pay that price? Does that mean you're missing out on time with your, with your family? Does it mean that you're, you're, you're sacrificing, you know, the health of your body or the health of your joints or, you know, whatever it is, um, so, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't go out and play sport or do anything like that, but, you know. No, nah, exactly. It's kind of like we're not really having a crack at him, but we're both sort of in the same boat where we're like, we want to do a little bit here, a little bit there and get the balance and sort of enjoy what we're doing. But if you also want to go out and say, do something that's going to lead really far and lean really far in the direction of training hard, dieting hard, all that kind of stuff just know that you can't be a hundred or 80% there and 80% in another category at the same time, because you only have so much you can put in and the checks need to be balanced eventually, where you're yep. going to have to come back and get rebalanced at some stage, or you just feel super out of whack. Yeah, and look, um, and sometimes like, uh, for me, like I've only trained twice this week because um, the, today has it's just been mad just running around doing stuff and it's like you know in the past I would have got really stressed about that it's like oh I didn't get in my three sessions and I'm like you know I might be able to get in another session on another day but if I don't so be it you know other things have got in the way and you know sometimes Jim has to take a, uh, a back seat but then yeah. I've got to be realistic. You know, I, I, I didn't get up early enough this morning that, you know, if I'd got up a little bit earlier, I could have slotted the, the gym in at that time. But, you know, I chose not to. So, you know, that was a, a, a conscious decision I made not not to train then. So, um, you know, and that was um, my son's away on school camp at the moment. So it's pretty quiet in the house. And, you know, my wife and I don't get to spend that much time together when without my son around. So, you know, I thought, you know, I can drive, drive my wife to work and spend a bit, bit of time with her rather than it being at the gym and I'm just coming in and, you know, it's like a quick hello and goodbye as she heads off to work. So, you know, that there was, I gave up one thing, but then I got something else in return. So, you know, and I think sometimes too, as you get older, you make, you know, you, you see, where there's more value. Like yeah. When I was younger, it might've been, uh, screw it. I'm going to the gym. My body's more important and how strong I am. You know, I'm losing my gains by missing a session and all that sort of stupid crap that you used to tell yourself <laughs> in the past that, you know, one session was going to be the difference between me, you know, benching 
90 kilos or 100 kilos or whatever the whatever it may be and as you get older you realize that you know it really doesn't matter that that much the odd session here and there but you know the time that you can spend with with family or or whatever it is that you've got to do that's replaced that you know you decide that that's worth worth the um the sacrifice i guess you could call it yeah yeah exactly I reckon that's good. Um, hey, one thing I wanted to ask you, I know it's, um, have, have you been, I know you mentioned the stuff about the stoicism stuff. How's the lack stuff oh, yeah. going so, for you? Really good. So like I'll be, I'll put my hand up and say, I've got the digital version of the daily stoic where you read that yep. one every day. So I've been missing a day here and there, but oh, look, I, I haven't written my journal for two days either because of various things like, um, like it's, it's funny you mentioned about your uh, your reading and stuff with that app. Like the other night, um, I had to pick my wife up from the hospital. She had a minor medical procedure, and it was, by the time we got out of there, and we were, had to drive across Melbourne, and the traffic was horrendous, and we uh, hadn't had anything prepared for dinner. So we're like we're dri- driving along, and we 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 just stopped in at KFC and got something there. Like we never eat KFC. Yeah, yeah. In the past, I would have got really bloody worried about about having that, but it's like you know, you got to eat. So you know, I didn't, I didn't scoff down a twenty five piece bucket or anything like that. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, there there are times when you 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 know, life is going to get in the way, and you may have to eat McDonald's or you may have to eat you know food that's you know that the nutritional value is not that high, but you know, at the end of the day, you need sustenance, you need calories. And, you know, you do, there are probably better choices that you can make at those, those places. But at the end of the day, like it's one meal yeah, and it's not going to break the, you know, it's not going to break the bank. Um, and I think, you know, you just let loosen the reins a little bit and know that, you know, that that's a one-off thing and then you're back on track. Um, yeah. One meal never day. breaks anyone. That's the big nah. thing. It's always the accumulation of stuff over yep. a week, a month, whatever. And yeah, one meal can't derail you that much. No. But um, yeah, so the Daily Stoke's been really good in the sense that just making me, like we've talked about heaps here, is like focus on what's in my control, what can I do with the time I've got. And it's just things like with the, say like with the business, I'm finding that doing these chats and podcast interviews with you and other people, I think it's much easier for me to do that than to sit down and write a blog post about something and be able to get that up, get it out and do it is way better on the time I've got available to me right now. And then coaching I need to do for people. So I've been doing more videos and things because it's easier than for me to write stuff. And then, yeah, I found that when I was, you know, a lot of these gurus tell you, you need to be writing, 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 writing. It's like, well, how many times have you sat down and you just look at that blinking cursor on the screen? It's like, I've got nothing here because you know, I think talking to somebody stimulates that stuff because you yeah. know, the words they say, you know, they that influences, you know, the way you're thinking. And then, you know, because, you know, we're built to communicate. So, you know, for some people, writing's easy. For me, it was, you know, there were times where I, I could write a lot and then other times it was like, I've got, I've got nothing here. And then, you know, you, then you've got to go through, 
you know, you might write a draft and then you've got to edit it and you think, oh, you know, maybe then I've got to find a few pictures to put with it. And yeah. Are there references in there that I've got to, um, I've, I've got to research and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, sometimes I think, yeah, like you said, you know, just having a conversation or making a video and, and stuff, just, you know, getting those thoughts out of your, out of your head can be easier than putting it down on paper. Yeah. And so like what I found with the stoicism stuff is, being ruthless with the time I've got in the sense that I say, I'm saying no to a lot of things more to make sure I've got the family time at home. So from four 30 onwards, I'm just going to put the phone on airplane mode and coaching messages and stuff will come in. If they're super urgent, I can answer them, but like text messages and social media and that it's all just gone. So I'm spending time with cat and Theo around dinner time and then with cat afterwards. And then I do all my work in the morning from four to six and then I'm you know, Theo's in daycare. That's the days I do coaching and make program changes. And then the other times is like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is Theo time. So we go for a big, a massive long walk. I get a workout in with him playing around with me and just sort of enjoying the day and not stressing about it. And that's been a huge help for me in the sense, like this is the time I've got, this is what I need to get done. What's the basic minimums I can do on each that's going to tick the box and sort of cut the fluff, which has helped me heaps in the sense that just getting rid of the things that haven't been working that well for me that I've been told I should do, but just didn't work. So I've just done canned it and made myself happier in the long run just from doing that. I think the one thing that's really helped me with the, with that sphere of control stuff was, um, especially at work in the prison, like it's a new prison. Um, it's a large, you know, operation, you know, when you need to get things done, like things move very, very slowly. Like we're trying to get um, replacement equipment because um, some of the stuff that we got wasn't overly suitable for the amount of work that it was getting. So things are starting to wear out a little bit, you know, boxing gloves are starting to um, wear out, stitching's coming apart We're, you know, balls, you know, go missing or they get worn out, you know, all, all that sort of stuff that happens with wear and tear and then trying to get that stuff replaced is, you know, is, can be frustrating. Yeah. And I've just found with the stoicism, it's like, well, you know, um, I, I can ask for those things, which is within my control, but the response that I get from other people or how quickly it arrives is beyond my control. Yeah. And then the other thing that I also wonder, well, I can't, quote it verbatim like you know a lot of people do things they think are in their best interests that may it may not be in your best interest with what they do but it's they're doing what they think is going to be best for them yeah that's never going to fully align with what you want to do and i think that's helped me to try and just not become frustrated about those those sort of things as well is that you know i i can ask things or I can ask for things or I can ring people up and inquire about that sort of stuff. But I'm not always going to get an instant solution or the response that I'm looking for because people are always going to do what's best or what they think is best for them or, or they're doing, they're working within what they feel is their sphere of control. And so I think that's helped me. And especially sometimes too, with, like working with a team of people as well is the differing opinions, differing ideas, um, you know, different 
even just different attitudes from day to day, like different mindsets that people come in with, depending on what's happened to them. You know, um, you know, the, the, for me, that's been a big thing with the stoicism is that I'm, I'm less and less stressed about things. If somebody says something to you, rather than like just firing back at them, you're like, you know, you kind of, you're a little bit more calmer about it and you, you take your time to respond rather than just firing back at them and starting a bloody argument or, you know, over something most of the time, which is quite minor or, or not that, um, you know, important. So I think that's been a, a big one. And I think that just that reflection each, each day on, on what's happened and um, what you could do better next time or even what you did do well that day. Yeah. It's not always necessarily thinking about things that you didn't do well. What are the bright spots? I don't know if you've ever read that um, book Switch. By, um, no. No, um, it's on my list of things to yeah, read. Chip, Chip and Dan Heath. Mm. They, that's a big thing that they talk about is focus on the bright spots. Yeah. You know, because every day is going to have a bright spot, but unfortunately a lot of the time our psychology forces us to focus on the negative and that's the only thing that we, we tend to remember. I think Brian and Carrie talk about that too. Brian Grasso. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about counting your wins or count your win Fridays or something like that. And that's, I love that idea as well. Yeah. So yeah, I think, and that's, that, that's been a big thing. I mean, some of the, like I said before about that daily stoic stuff, some of the questions are are like, um, just throw me for, you know, for a six kind of thing that, that, They're a bit beyond my my scope. Some of them are a bit too deep, and I'm I'm like, at, especially at night, I'm I'm just probably not in the right mindset to be uh, thinking that deeply about things. <laughs> yeah. But then other yeah. times, some of the questions are quite profound, and and you know they, they do make you question, you know, what your, um, you know, what you're telling yourself and what what your narrative is as well. Yeah. So yeah. Actually, it's I think. Even for most people, the daily style is probably the best way to get into it because you can do it in little chunks. Yep. I reckon that book itself is really good for an introduction. Then you can go deeper and learn the other stuff. And then oh, man, Obstacles so much, Away is another good one. Yeah, there's so much stuff in there. Like the, I mean, even James Clear's stuff's pretty, um, you know, he's, yeah. he, he does some pretty profound Like he's... Stuff. Four burners theory is like one of the benchmarks or hallmarks or whatever you want to call it. the core aspects of the way I do the coaching online now is like, what are you going to like? You got these four things that we need to take care of. Maybe this health and fitness stuff isn't the number one thing, but what can you do? That's a minimum, which is what I kind of specialize in is like the minimum effective dose people can do to tick the box for what we need for movement and health and stuff like that while they focus in other areas where work might be a high priority at the moment or the family is or friends and relationships are. So yeah, James Clear is amazing. Like if you haven't gone and followed him, he is the man. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I've been, um, like I subscribed to his, his stuff a long, a long time ago. And, you know, it's, he's, you know, he's got some, some, um, interesting stuff as well. And I find some of the, um, it was, I think Ryan Holiday, like I was subscribed to his stuff. And I think one of his, um, I think he bought out like 25 books to read before you die or something like that. And some of the <laughs> yeah. stuff was quite, um, you know, it was quite interesting. There were like fairly obscure things that I'd never, you know, authors I'd never heard of or stories that were, 
you know, way out of sort of left field. But yeah. I guess that's the, the thing about this, this whole stoic philosophy is that, you know, you've got your main, your main players and that, but, um, you know, there's a lot of other stuff outside of that. I mean, I don't profess to be a, uh, an expert on, on a, a lot of the, the, the tenets of, of stoicism, but, uh, you know, if you, even if you just, you know, you consider that whole sphere of control thing, yeah, you know, the calmness that it brings, brings to you and just, you know, being in that moment rather than dwelling on the past or being anxious about the future, you know, it's, it's such a huge thing. And I know it's become more of a, um, a thing nowadays with meditation and mindfulness and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think for me, I tried meditation and mindfulness and I just couldn't get into it. And I think once I, I started reading about the stoic sort of stuff, I think it, it, it clicked with me um, a little bit more clearly. Yeah. It's kind of like, for me, in a sense, it was like stoicism was like focus on what's in your control, like that funnel. And then Dan John talks about your givens. So what's in your control? What do you need? What time you've got? What do you need to work on? And then what are your givens? What are the things that we know are given and proven to show gets the result and are a minimum effective dose? And now I'm basically putting everything through that funnel and then I can expand on it after I give, get the givens in place that are in my control. Well, and, that, and that, that way then you're focusing your mental energy on the things that one are going to have the most impact for you, which is the stuff that you can con- control. Yeah. And then also too, like the, the givens and stuff that you know that you, you can rely on those. Like yeah. that those those foundations or those, that those core um, principles like we've mentioned before, that they don't change. Like that they're, they're not... Um, they're not things that are going to fail. No, exactly. It's kind of like when I use the four burners theory, I find my lowest bucket out of those four. What's the thing I've got in my control to help fix it? And then what are the givens, the things that we know that are super easy to implement or super simple to implement, but I know it make big improvements First, something that's like, say with your nutrition, having a supplement, which might be the last 5% of the changes you need. Instead, you can go protein, fats, veggies, and water, which is like 80% of what you need. Yeah, like I think um, yeah, we spend way too much time in, in those, those small areas that um, have the least impact. Yeah. But I think they're, they're things that are very easy for us to focus on. Yeah. It makes us feel like we're, we're focusing on the areas that, that – that need to work, but they're the, the things that are going to have the least amount of impact. It's like when, you know, you, um, you know, business people talk about, you know, and you convince yourself that cruising around on Facebook is actually doing work. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm reading articles written by these people about this, this, and this, and this, and, you know, I'm, I'm educating myself or I'm doing work when all you're really doing is just wasting time, but you, you kind of disguised it as, as work. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like, which we both need to jump off the corner seat, but I reckon we talk about it next time is like how when Thayer came along, I pretended to think that Facebook was part of my business massively and using it to talk to my clients and stuff. But I was just getting into a time suck and I was spending like nearly five, six hours a day when I'm meant to be hanging with Theo in Facebook. Oh, I did that with Instagram. Yeah. And, and then Instagram's I had to cut it all. Black, yeah, Instagram's a black hole because it's like, 
I mean, you've got to be posting so often yeah. um, on Instagram at least three, four times a day. And I stopped doing that because it's like, I'm just seeing the same stuff over and over and over. The people that I was following and stuff, it's like, it's just, I know there's a lot of people out there that, that want to hear your message, but um, that you, you could connect with. But I just felt like I, I, I just, I didn't have enough to say that would warrant me being on Instagram that, that much. And I remember Alan Aragon talking about that with, um, with Instagram, why he's not on Instagram very much. Cause he said, you know, he doesn't have enough to say that would need him to be on Instagram as often as some people are. Yeah. Exactly. So hence, hence why a lot of, a lot of the stuff on Instagram is just people's pictures of their, of their abs or their butt or their, their chest <laughs> or their arms, because, you know, you can post those sort of things ad nauseum and people, people eat it up. But, um, you know, it's got to be more to life than, than just posting pictures of your your ass on Instagram. I reckon. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I can we'll yeah. call it on that because we both got to get cruising. But we'll do another follow up in a couple of weeks. What do you reckon? Yeah, it sounds good, man. All right, mate. All right, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. I'm just going to pause this up, Daz. All right. Hi guys, thanks again for listening. If you want to talk to Darren, he's on social media at Darren Maroney, pretty much in Instagram and Facebook. And he is floating around in the CJ Rubric coaching groups, the Fit Parents Made Simple and Strong, Lean and Awesome coaching group. So you just jump in there, tag him in a post and ask him questions if you like. And if you'd like to get access to our report, our um, one-page PDF on how to get Strong, Lean and Awesome, which is our big three for fat loss, Go to the website, down, go to, click on the infographic, it's in the front page, and then you'll be able to download it and you'll be able to get a free seven-day course on how to implement it into your life. But thanks again for listening, and as always, please share it around, share it with your friends. If you've got something out of it, we'd love you to put share it around for us. Thank you.